Welcome to the Digital Euro Podcast by the Digital Euro Association. In this podcast, you will learn about the disruption of technology in the monetary and financial system. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to all of you in the audience, as well as to our two panelists for today, Tina Taylor-Baker and Zhao Reginato. It's truly our pleasure to have you with us today and that you, Zhao, will actually give us a keynote on stablecoins as a developer platform for financial services. After the keynote, we'll dive into the newly launched EUROC. For those who are not familiar, EUROC is Circle's Euro-denominated stablecoin that launched at the end of June this year. And before we get started, I'd like to extend our thanks to all of our supporting partners and our gold partner, Ripple. So just as a heads up for anyone in the audience, we'll have a Q&A session for Joao's keynote right after he's finished, and then also a Q&A session after the panel discussion itself, and we would, in which we'll then extend our questions to our panelists. Now, before Joao will give his keynote, I would ask uh, you, Tiana, and um, Joao to introduce yourselves first. Maybe Tina can start. Sure. Thank you so much to the DEA and Sarah for inviting us to join you guys today. I am Tina Baker-Taylor and I lead our regulatory strategy and policy uh, in Europe and the UK. Uh, Circle is um, in acting in partnership with uh, our regulators and policymakers around the world to help develop um, practical, you know, pragmatic and balanced regulatory frameworks for digital assets. Um, and a big part of my job is engaging with those policymakers. Um, so that's my role at the firm. Zhao? Thanks. Uh, thanks, Sarah. Thanks, team. Thanks, everyone, for having us here. So I'm, I'm a Joao. I've, I've, uh, I, I'm a pure product um, for Circle. I, I've been with Circle for almost seven years at this stage. Um, I led the, the build out of uh, US dollar coin, USCC, our first uh, stable coin. And today I manage um, all of our product teams that, um, that focus in the stable coin space, uh, including the teams that have recently brought Eurocoin to market as well. Great to have you both uh, with us today. I think this will be a truly exciting um, topic, not just your your keynote on stablecoins more in general as a development um, or developer platform, but also then talking about um, the UROC. And um, yeah, the stage is all yours, Zhao. Awesome. So um, so yeah, we have we have a particular view, and we have had a particular view when it comes to stablecoins uh, from the beginning, and uh, and that view is that. Uh, stablecoins can can behave much much more broadly beyond the the, the bare asset um, side of of, uh, of the instrument that most people I think tend to focus on something that you can hold on a digital wallet and transact. Uh, but there are quality properties about these assets that really make them uh, potentially behave more as a as a platform for the build out of um, hopefully better uh, financial services and, and use cases. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. Um, I, I've been I've been talking to to my team, to teams at Circle, and to the the developer and and um, and ecosystems that we interact with about this idea that we have had, uh, you know, as as uh, as humans, we have had the benefit of having the advent of the internet over the last thirty years or so, and that has introduced uh, a lot of fantastic innovation in terms of how we communicate, how we uh, how we inform ourselves, how we. Uh, how we engage with uh, with our counterparts uh, around the world in a much more seamless way. 
Uh, and the internet has created a lot of this idea of APIs, right? Programmable ways of, of accessing all this vast amount of information and, and communications infrastructure. What we have, what we have lacked, though, in the in the last uh, three decades or so, is the propagation of that to to money, right? Um, because I think I think this is an old topic, but most most of our financial uh, services and the way they works today continues to be built on top of 20th century uh, infrastructure. Uh, none of it is actually fully digital. Um, most of it actually stops during weekends and and outside uh, uh, traditional uh, working hours. And um, and we have fallen behind tremendously in, from an innovation and potential point of view in terms of what we have seen uh, compared, as I said, to the evolution of how communication and, and media uh, has evolved over the internet. So we, we talk about this idea that we owe it to the internet, we owe it to the world to create this idea of an Uber money API that runs on internet rails so that for, for developers, for businesses around the world, trying to build on top of 21st century infrastructure that they have the same amount of uh, uh, capabilities and access that, that other sectors um, of business activity running on, on internet infrastructure have today. And we believe that we have been evolving uh, a lot in this direction in the last number of years. And, and the, the evolution of blockchain technology has certainly contributed tremendously to, to this direction. And we believe in particular stable coins are, are the best answer that we have today to creating this, this money API that runs on the internet. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about that. <clears throat> First of all, I would like to talk about this idea of uh, the myth of the infrastructure phase. Uh, this is a thesis that um, two, two, two folks at, at USV, uh, the venture capital, uh, have written, I think, circa 2017. Uh, they're Danny Grant and, and Nick Grossman. You can you can look for them on the internet, and you will find a, a super interesting article. But it's this idea that typically, when it comes to technology, uh, application development um, inspires infrastructure, and then infrastructure tends to follow uh, in terms of development to enable uh, applications. So what happens is. Uh, developers and businesses, they they have a vision, they attempt to do something, they build applications, and then they realize that there's actually real limitations to the infrastructure in, in attempting to, to do what they want to do. And that a lot of those teams traditionally, they have then turned their attention to building infrastructure to enable the things they want to build. And the evolution of that infrastructure then not only allows them to build what they wanted, but actually introduces innovation to, to do a lot of new things as well. The We we, we think actually, funny enough, we, we sort of followed um, that when uh, as, as a company at Circle when we ended up building USCC. Uh, and here are just a couple of examples of, uh, of how the development of some, some applications eventually inspired infrastructure, with, which then enabled um, new things. And I think USCC, when it was developed, it was developed along those lenses. Um, prior to building uh, a stablecoin infrastructure like USCC uh, in, in circa 2017, Circle, Circle was focused on retail applications. We, we were building peer-to-peer -peer payments products and other uh, retail products to bring the benefits of, uh, of blockchain and crypto assets to, to masses, right? To, to use cases where, uh, where we could, through, through good user experience, reduce uh, the, the friction that typically is involved in that technology, uh, but still bring the benefits. And we, we built peer-to-peer -peer payments use cases and others on top of infrastructure like, like Bitcoin. Um, and it quite didn't work. It quite didn't 
you know, scale and, and performed uh, to the extent that we thought it could um, around that time. That attracted us to, to Ethereum, uh, which was, a, 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 you know, the first non-Bitcoin blockchain at the time. The idea of creating your own token, creating your own asset, programmability, uh, and eventually we landed on this idea of stable coins. Um, but but we 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 then we then uh, kind of followed this transition, and that's why I like this analogy. We were building retail apps, we were building applications, and we realized that we were hitting some some uh, constraints in terms of the infrastructure. We switched over to building infrastructure. Funny enough, we never went back to, to rebuilding those retail applications on top of, of that new infrastructure. So the, the rest is history. But uh, but I think it's an interesting evolution that tends to happen. And I think it has been happening again uh, with crypto in the last number of years. So because of that vision that we have had from the beginning, that stable coins were something that we wanted to build to enable the, the, the application development that we first uh, were interested in, we always have had this uh, platform or developer focus to what we did um, initially with the build out of USCC. So we built the asset, um, but I think the most interesting thing that happened was not really that we built the asset. We, we followed very quickly with building this idea of stable coin APIs. Uh, and we built uh, tools for developers so that they could benefit from the infrastructure that Circle had at its disposal. Primarily this idea of uh, automatically converting uh, dollars into USCC and back. And those APIs, they were very uh, they were very successful over the last number of years. And very early on, we had some, some customers like Dapper Labs um, that I don't know if many of you know, but Dapper Labs, uh, they have a, a digital wallet experience called the Dapper Wallet. And they are the creators of, of uh, popular blockchain-based games like CryptoKitties and, and more recently NBA uh, Top Shot. Uh, Dharma was another company that utilized our APIs very early on. Dharma eventually um, was was sold to uh, to OpenSea, uh, was incorporated by OpenSea, and uh, and FTX uh, also also utilized our APIs early on. And the reason why I used all of those examples were because was because those were all companies that did not utilize. Circles infrastructure, stablecoins APIs, and USDC, just as one more asset that they had in in their you know potentially crypto capital markets use case. No, these use cases they were all uh, they were all more financial services in nature, and they utilize USDC as a, as a platform as an implementation um, piece of infrastructure. Uh, if if any of you ever use a game like the NBA Top Shot. You'll realize that you know you might actually use it and not 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 come across USCC as a term, not come across that as a as a as a as a concept that you need to master. Similarly, for how the Dharma wallet used to use, and similar for how FTX has built their experience in that you can you can transfer your dollars to FTX, and they hold a dollar denominated balance for you. They don't necessarily tell you that that's USCC behind the scenes. Uh, so really, these these are examples of people using uh, USCC and our stablecoin APIs as as a platform. Um, so then, uh, so then, what happened is 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 as as these as these this, these pieces of infrastructure that we're putting together uh, continue to evolve. We really think that assets like USCC and Eurocoin they behave like these on-chain money APIs. Uh, they are global. They are very liquid, uh, and we keep keep working so that they continue to be liquid. Uh, they are trusted, uh, so they have the quality properties that are required um, for for developers and businesses to build on top of them. And as I said, what that allows businesses to do is to focus on the user experience, hopefully abstract away the fact that these are digital assets, and just think of them as a way to store, transact. Um, 
exchange, trade, um, dollar or fiat denominated assets on blockchain infrastructure. So just just uh, so that you guys don't trust me, but just trust the, the numbers a little bit more. Uh, so focusing a little bit on USDC for now, but uh, you know we we have we have a, a great track record of of uh, the promise of stability for an asset like uh, like USDC, which is the main point of of existence. Uh, we hold uh, one to one um, uh, reserves for for the the the, the, the USDC tokens in circulation. Uh, as of right now, we have around about $54 billion uh, worth of USSC out in circulation in, in the various ecosystems where it is supported. This has represented over 5,000% growth uh, since uh, since about, about two years ago, which is, which is really insane. Over 190 countries represented in how the asset is transacted and, and, uh, and developers and businesses utilize and build on top of that. And we have always focused a lot on this idea that if you are to be a platform, you have to be trusted, uh, right? Um, developers are not going to pick uh, Amazon Web Services or or Google Cloud uh, lightly. They they want to build for for decades uh, to to come, and so uh, trust is super important if you want to behave like a platform. So we have we have all those. Um, all those characteristics that that we are proud of from a trust point of view, particularly I think the one that I will focus on is just the redeemability. USDC is is the the most redeemable uh, stablecoin. Uh, it has you know over one hundred twenty five billion dollars worth of uh, of stablecoin has been has been redeemed through our systems just uh, just in the form of dollars for USDC. Um, it it already has achieved a tremendous uh, tremendously broad ecosystem. It is still you know reasonably constrained to to crypto capital markets use cases, but it is growing a lot. Uh, so we are supported on eight uh, natively on eight uh, separate uh, ecosystems: um, Ethereum, Solana, Tron, Avalanche, Algorand, Stellar, Flow, and Hedera blockchains. But uh, not non-natively on in a non-official way, it's actually supported in over thirty uh, blockchain ecosystems, over two hundred digital wallets, uh, one hundred and eighty exchange platforms. So it is it is one of the most uh, broadly uh, adopted uh, assets and, and therefore platform in the world right now. Um, and as I said, a little bit more on the mainstream side of things, uh, it is beginning to be adopted, um, even though this is traditionally always going to be a little bit more slow moving, but we have companies like Stripe beginning to, to uh, inter intertwine USSC as part of their as part of their infrastructure in the way that they offer marketplace payouts in the form of USCC now. Uh, Visa and MasterCard considering utilizing USCC as part of a, a currency on their settlement networks. Um, MoneyGram beginning to to consider that for uh, for remittance use cases as well. Um, one one of the things that we're super proud of, and again, it it, it has to do with this idea of building a, a platform and not only an asset, is the fact that we we have built a tremendously robust infrastructure uh, to support uh, the, the the core primitives of this asset. So all of our uh, issuance and redemption flows are completely automated. Uh, they run on a 24 by 7 uh, basis. Uh, they don't stop. Uh, and and with when customers send fiat or you know dollars or euros these days with Eurocoin as well, uh, the the issuance, the conversion, or the creation of the digital uh, parallel to the asset happens in a matter of minutes and in a completely automated way. So really, really focusing on on automated um, use cases that that come with uh, with platform. Uh, perspective uh, again a few a few other numbers and this this slide is getting out of date now because it's as of april but just just so you guys have an idea of the volume that we that we perform uh, for our business customers just in the month of april we have averaged about 
$390 million uh, issued a day and uh, $465 million redeemed a day. April was a particular month that, that you know, had a more of a contraction in the supply. Uh, typically, this is a little bit more obviously bias on the issuance side, but it's it's tremendously uh, tremendously large for uh, for that that kind of asset today. I think I might have skipped a slide, but I think we'll get going in the interest of time. Now, let's talk a little bit about Eurocoin then. Um, so, as I like to say, we're we're building on the shoulders of of a giant. Uh, Eurocoin is the first foray into Circle expanding uh, the idea of of stablecoin platforms and uh, and moving into more than than one uh, fiat currency supported. This is tremendously important. Again, if we want to think about the idea of a platform, the world doesn't run on dollars. The crypto worlds might run a little bit more on dollars than traditional financial worlds, but uh, but obviously this doesn't suffice. We have to continue to bring these benefits uh, to other regions and, and Euro and the European region seem to be the, the, the obvious one for us to focus on next. Uh, we have launched uh, Eurocoin at the, the last day of June, so basically July uh, this year. Um, and uh, and it, it, it follows exactly the same principles of USCC. So it runs on exactly the same infrastructure and it uses the same parameters for trust and transparency. Uh, it, it, it leverages the same network for distribution and for liquidity. And, uh, and obviously, we don't anticipate it, it being as large uh, a, a platform as an asset as USCC uh, in the near future. Eventually, it should become uh, significant in size as well. But as you can see from the profile of growth, we are, we are in a good uh, trajectory and we, we believe Eurocoin will, will very soon become the, the largest uh, Euro-based uh, stablecoin in the world as well. The uh, the call to action that I always invite, uh, particularly developer audiences, to think about is that if they are building uh, a financial services uh, product uh, or, or application, and uh, or or even if it's not necessarily a financial service uh, product, if it is sometimes uh, a product that just needs uh, uh, money as as a building block, right? And there are so many today, right? If you utilize Uber, uh, you have a digital wallet in there, even though most people don't think about it. If you use Airbnb, you have a digital wallet in there, even though you don't think about it. There are so many needs for, for these core primitives of storing money, transacting, um, even beyond financial services use cases. If, if you as a developer, as a business, you are thinking about building something or thinking about improving the way that that service works, and you're not considering stable coins as one of the potential platform alternatives, you're not considering crypto and blockchain infrastructure, you should really consider why that is. Uh, obviously, I think we'll talk about it. Uh, the, the lack of more clarity from a regulatory point of view is still one of the one of the key uh, detractors for this becoming more broad. But from uh, from all the other quality properties uh, that a platform needs in this space, um, it, it's really compelling uh, the alternative that we that we are building uh, collectively as an industry here. So I would invite uh, every developer and every business owner to really consider this as an alternative. And um, and that's what I had to to talk about today. Looking forward to the to the questions and the panel subsequently. Great, thank you so much. I think that was a very comprehensive overview and uh, definitely answered why um, a money API might make sense. Just on the last note that you touched on, that you're particularly targeting um, developers. Is there any type of workshop or or a traineeship that Circle actually offers that people can? can reach out to or look into if they're interested? 
Yes, we have a, a couple of things I would mention. We have, uh, we have. If you go to Circle.com, you will find a tremendous amount of resources for developers. We have uh, developers.circle.com with a lot of documentation. Uh, we have a, a sandbox that developers can use. It's really simple to create an account and start uh, playing with a lot of this infrastructure. Um, and we have a team that is always super interested in supporting developers as well. So invite invite folks to to utilize those those channels that they find on Circle.com to to reach out. And also, I'll, I'll do a bit of a a bit of a pitch here. Circle is is running uh, its its first ecosystem developer conference called Converge at the end of September in in San Francisco. Um, there, there are there are more information on the website, and I'm sure we we're going to talk about it again later today. Um, but it's a it's a it's a unique opportunity for developers also around the world uh, to to come uh, to the conference and to learn both from people who are building on top of this type of platform. Uh, but then on the conference, we will have a, a unique uh, track for developers, and there will be a lot of educational material there as well. All right. Good to know, especially for those of uh, the audience that are actually residing in the US, I guess. And um, that being said, let's move on to the audience questions, which there are a couple of. The first one is regarding the backing structure of Europe, especially um, because we know that um, Circle's uh, tr first transparency report on the backing of the UCC was, was just published. And um, we also know, of course, that it's the goal um, to uh, publish daily transparency reports. So what's that like? What are are the plans like for the Eurock here? Yeah, Eurocoin follows, as I said, the benefit of doing it the second time is that you you learn and you you learn a lot and you build on top of what you have already done. So Eurocoin follows exactly the same uh, the same reconciliation and and uh, and attestation procedures that we have for USCC. We work with the same uh, partner in, in Greta Thornton as uh, as the auditing firm that provides those services for for us. Um, the same, the same data infrastructure. The same, uh, obviously, from a banking partnership partnership point of view, it might differ. Um, we have issued already the first uh, the first report uh, for Eurocoin. Uh, the the second one is is coming real soon. Uh, now that the month of July has uh, has closed, and uh, we are working, and and my team is actually part of building that out. We are working towards moving from a from a monthly attestation um, uh, kind of control to as much as possible a daily one. Now, this is something that takes a while because uh, these assets, particularly USCC, they're really, really large. So we're talking about tremendous uh, sums of, of data that we need to reconcile on a monthly basis. Um, but we are completely reorganizing our, our infrastructure to be able to do that, probably beginning on a weekly basis and then moving on to a, to a daily basis. And uh, we, we hope to do that before the end of this year. Okay, so there's even a um, time roadmap attached to to this plan. That's good to know. And the next question is also going into that direction of um, of backing. So it's it's fully backed um, and then pegged to the euro, of course, instead of the U.S. dollar. Um, but what does the backing um, consist of? So is it uh, similar to the U.S. Um, D.C. where we have short term? Obviously, they're not U.S. government bonds, but bonds um, and dollar or euro cash reserves. Then, or what's that like? The the euro the euro reserves are are a little bit simpler to begin with. Uh, also, because honestly, the, the scale of of the reserves are not uh, that significant right now. As I said, I think we have just over five million euro in in circulating supply right now. You you are you are right. Uh, uh, so so the the composition of the the USCC reserves is essentially a combination of uh, of cash reserves and uh, and short term bonds. 
uh, the 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 composition of the euro coin reserves right now are completely cash based so it's purely purely euro on on cash accounts all right got it Tina, if you have anything to add, by the way, of course, these questions are mostly directed uh, towards Joao after his keynote, but feel free to jump in at any point too. Sure, I would just add that on the Euro reserves, uh, the you mentioned that they were pegged. I think one of the significant differentiators for Eurocoin versus some of the other existing uh, Euro-denominated coins are that uh, the reserves are actually held in euros. So any of that potential FX slippage that might occur in another euro-denominated coin um, does not exist within Eurocoin because it is one for one to an actual euro. I see. So we actually have to differentiate in terms of the phrasing here when it comes to PEG versus euro-denominated. All right. So so a PEG is a reference, right? So you're referencing a denominated currency. Um, Ours are actually one-to-one backed by euros. Mm, Makes sense. All right, coming back to the topic of stablecoins as a money API, where would you say is the advantage of using Europe over um, USDC? Is there such a thing as a competition amongst those two, or would you say they're particularly they're they're for different um, purposes? Also, from the perspective of um, the US dollar, as you said, Joao, being a bit more predominant, especially um, in crypto. Yeah, look, the way the way that I think about that is twofold. So first, let me compare a little bit um, a an infrastructure like USDC to to normal dollars, right? Uh, so I, I have I have had the experience of of building financial services and products that actually have to deal with with you know proper real world uh, fiat currencies and and the way that you represent. In a way, I, I've I, I have a, an engineering background, so I always think about money as technology as well, right? The way that you think about money is you have to be able to store. It's a little bit like thinking about data. You have to be able to store it. You have to be able to secure it. You have to be able to move it around. Um, And the way that you achieve those things with traditional uh, infrastructure is, you know, there there are only certain companies that are allowed to store uh, money in in traditional form, and those are banks, right? Uh, so you have to have some sort of banking related infrastructure to be able to to store fiat currencies. Uh, so as a company building products in that space, if you're not a bank, you have to have a relationship with the bank. You have to uh, write code against banking APIs, which tend to be you know not great. Um, if you if you're interested in uh, securing uh, funds, you also you you are going to have you know particular types of infrastructure and vendors for that. If you're interested in moving funds, maybe you're going to have to write code against uh, payment service providers and and those sorts of infrastructures. Um, and as I said, those unfortunately are mostly based on 20th century uh, technology, right? So they they typically don't work on the weekends. Um, they're very very poor when it comes to uh, to uh, thinking beyond a particular jurisdiction. So now if you have to transact and send those funds across borders, well, then then you're a little bit in trouble because that's going to be tremendously cost uh, costly and, and slow moving. Now, if you think about representing all of those primitives as, a, as an application developer in, in this new form of technology, then uh, you know, it's very easy and I can download hundreds of different alternatives of, um, of you know, custody uh, pieces of technology that most of them are free to use and open source. 
reasonably secure after uh, you know about a decade or so of of, uh, of testing um, to to store these kinds of assets that are you know uh, that represent uh, fiat currencies just as well. Again, from a transaction point of view. Uh, there are so many vendors and so many bits of technology that, again, most of them are free, permissionless to use uh, that a developer could use today. And then when you when you talk about particularly about global use cases, it's it's tremendously easy and much cheaper and much faster to to transact on this kind of infrastructure. Uh, but but I think the way that then on the second part of your question, you know, on, on the the audience's question, USDC versus versus Eurocoin, I think eventually for for depending on the type of business that that um, that needs to be built uh you you need all of these currencies right so uh if you're if you're trying to build global commerce uh right where we're going to maybe accept payments from a u.s based uh, consumer base or, or an european consumer base you're going to have to to uh deal with dollars and deal with euros um you know so having having uh this type of infrastructure uh, support at least those two currencies is tremendously interesting you can accept different types of currencies choose the one that you want to receive settlement on uh, there's already, again, permissionless infrastructure that many people, not only Circle, many people are building on top of this that allows you to do FX across these two currencies. So it, it makes complete sense to use more than one and, and to continue to use them as, as we build more of them out. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. I mean, thinking back of the example that you gave during your keynote, um, if you look at Airbnb, it's not just Airbnb in general. They have different... Um, offices and, and headquarters and um, have to deal with different taxation authorities as well around the world. And it only makes sense to then have also um, currency specific ways of, of um, settlement and, and payment going on. And that actually leads to the next question, the next audience question. And it's regarding um, market in crypto asset regulations. So in Europe, so how um, will Circle proceed with regulation for the euro is kind of the question, or how do you, if it's more of a, of a bystanding um, observing um, position that you might take on, then um, how are you planning on, um, on reacting to Mika? Tina, I think this one is for you. Okay, sure. Yeah, I can take this one. Um, so in, in general, as I mentioned when we when we kicked off, Circle has a very keen interest in the development of you know transparent, well-regulated digital asset markets. Um, and we think that's imperative for you know capital formation, maintaining efficient transactions and, and consumer protections. Um and for us, we believe that the partnership between public and private sectors is, is really critical to develop that technology neutral um, principle based regulation. I think that one of the, the key issues that we have had is, you know, a lack of harmonization. Um, and so Europe setting this harmonized policy and a regulatory standard for something as fundamental as the future of crypto assets in the third largest economic zone in the world is a really significant milestone. So with the advent of Mika, which in the next two years will implement an end-to-end holistic regulatory framework for digital assets in Europe, and we haven't had that really anywhere, um, will provide regulatory clarity and a really clear regulated path for innovators 
across 27 different member states, and importantly, passporting rights between those countries um, for innovators and, and builders to market and operate their business. And I think that that's going to be a game changer. So um, from a circle perspective, uh, we obviously plan to continue to invest and grow our presence in Europe um, and to help build out this responsible, you know, Mika conforming crypto asset economy. And when available to us, we also aim to make Eurocoin a Mika conforming digital currency. So it doesn't exist today. Um, we're still, you know, 24 or so months out from uh, that regulation coming into implementation. Um, so within this context, I think if you imagine a future where you have a privately issued stablecoin that conforms to regulations that can support visa level transaction throughput, um, visa level uptimes, cyber and, and risk resilience, um, that payment system we think is coming. Um, and we believe that this is the reason that, you know, big companies like Visa and WorldPay, uh, you know, are investing in enabling crypto um, and investing in enabling companies like Circle because they see this future driven by these payment optionalities that, um, you know, a well-regulated stablecoin would enable. So ultimately, we're quite excited uh, about Mika. Um, and uh, we think that it will be, you know, transformational for the industry and provide Europe potentially with, you know, a first mover advantage around a really holistic regulatory framework. Yeah, the first mover advantage um, also, of course, comes into play if you look at current market capitalization of other euro-denominated stablecoins. So that's yeah, definitely an important uh, topic. I can see that. Um, so these were the questions that were extended from the audience for the keynote portion, and we'll make sure to extend more to you. Um, after the panel discussion itself, and um, some some of the audience questions already touched on the questions we're going to ask, so we'll we'll um, adjust them accordingly. Um, but right off the bat, now um, can you elaborate a bit on the growth projections for Euroc in the next couple of of months? I mean, we've seen kind of where you um, got with USDC within a year, for example, um, how big the growth was, and then you already touched on on Mika on the regulatory side of things. So yeah, so I, I can touch on the growth part. Um, it, it's always very hard to to come up with actual numbers, right? So I'm not I'm not going to share any actual numbers here, but I, but I will share how we see uh, growth happening because uh, the interesting thing that I think we are learning and we have learned with the build out of of Eurocoin is that um, every every time you do this, uh, obviously the context is is different and uh, and the use cases uh, are different as well. Uh, the, the more it, it has network effects, right? So the more currencies you incorporate into, into this kind of infrastructure, the more use cases are enabled. So when, when USCC was launched, um, it was launched into, uh, into a particular uh, crypto capital markets um, uh, context, right? Um, there was uh, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of uh, demand for for alternative uh, uh, dollar stable coins at the time in 2018 when we launched, and I think we hit we hit uh, product market fit really really quickly with USCC because of that demand for for something that was really trusted and and regulated and and coming out of the US. I think 
the partnership that we have established, for example, with Coinbase, really, really uh, subsequent to to launching, was a demonstration of that. That that you know, uh, core companies within that crypto industry they were actively looking for a, for a trusted alternative. Um, so I think USCC benefited from that almost immediately, as I said, product market fit, and it grew really, really quickly. Um, and then and then it started uh, it started. Um, you know, broadening a little bit its use cases more more in the in the in the second half of its existence, uh, right? When we started having, as as Tina mentioned, companies like Visa, more recently WorldPay, uh, Stripe, uh, really really interested in in the growth of USDC and and how they can they can uh, run some some mainstream use cases over this. Eurocoin has been has proven to be slightly different. Eurocoin has already landed. Which uh, with a, with a much more mainstream perspective to it. So the demand that we have been seeing. Uh, is already riding that that more mainstream adoption wave. Uh, what I mean by that is these large scale companies and financial institutions and payment processing uh, providers, uh, they welcome tremendously the introduction of Eurocoin because obviously all of them tend to be not not uh, US centric companies. They tend to have more of a global presence. And even if they don't have a completely global presence, the U.S. markets and the Europe, uh, the European markets, to them tend to be almost uh, almost uh, comparable in in size and, and and importance for them, right? So all of them are are really interested in expanding the infrastructure that they have uh, begun to establish, uh, connecting to USC, also for Eurocoin. Um, on crypto capital markets, I think that there is going to be demand. I mean, uh, there was a there was a study, I think. Uh, uh, published by Chain Analysis, I think at the end of 2021, indicating that actually Europe was the the fastest growing region from a from a retail adoption of DeFi uh, decentralized finance services. Uh, so I think European customers are definitely interested in in continuing to experiment with with these uh, crypto based uh, financial services, uh, and and most li- most likely they are not as interested in holding balances, uh, you know, in a dollar denominated fashion. They do it because honestly, it's the most liquid and appropriate way to to on ramp into those services. But if you receive your income in euros, and if you you know your expenses are all euro denominated, uh, and you're also playing in these uh, in this in this new innovative financial services space based on crypto, you're very likely to be willing to hold euro denominated balances in in cryptographic form right so so what we see is is a lot of uh, a lot of demand uh from from european centric uh crypto capital markets venues uh to deliver to the european uh, customer base uh, in the same way that uscc delivered to a global customer base uh we we have uh we have seen we have seen a little bit of a, a slow start but i think we have so many things to announce in terms of uh, crypto centralized crypto exchanges adoption in in the last two months. In the next two months, there will be so many that will be announced. Uh, they're all, uh, you know, we have been mindful because this has been a, a very busy uh, time for for the crypto industry in general, coming out of uh, of a couple of crises in the in the first two quarters and in a bear market. So, introducing this kind of capability into into everybody's roadmaps has taken a little bit of time. But as I said. Um, before the end of the year, we will see broad adoption of, of Eurocoin, at least within the crypto industry for for the main crypto capital markets, probably just as broadly as we see USDC today. Uh, and we anticipate a uh, tremendous amount of growth uh, for Eurocoin within that within that um, that space. But as I said, uh, we have we have seen so much demand from commerce use cases and effects uh, based use cases uh, now that USDC can can be put side by side with Eurocoin, and I think that that will contribute 
to in terms of mainstream growth, perhaps much more quickly than what we have seen for USCC in the past. Yeah, I think the only thing that I would add to that is that, you know, if we're looking at um, EuroC today being, you know, primarily an institutional innovation and a key trading pair for USDC, that that is true. Um, but, you know, how and where is the retail market going to develop? And I think that as cryptocurrency in, in general, the industry matures just beyond, you know, money and trading into the next generation of payments and commerce, this idea of a fully collateralized, transparent, reserved stablecoin starts to come into its own as a critical payments tool. And so, you know, you you may have skeptics that would argue that the payments network um, in Europe already works quite well today. And so what what do we need this for? But the payments network today enables, you know, the traditional payments infrastructure. Um, and so as we're starting to see more merchant acquisition come online with the likes of, as Jawa said, Stripe, uh, MasterCard, WorldPay being a few examples, um, what we're now doing is creating that bridge between, you know, digitally native payments and digitally native, you know, Web3 type applications. Um, being able to transact with digitally native money. And I think that is different, right? There is still some friction today. Um, taking your, you know, bank account money, converting it into digital money, and then being able to use that within these services online, whether they're financial or entertainment. Um, there is a wide uh, uh you know, there's 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 a number of applications where having that digitally native money for payment usage um, becomes, you know, materially critical, I think, as well as time goes on. So I think when we evaluate the the payments use case in Europe, we can't necessarily look at the payments arrangements or the payment infrastructure of today. Um, we need to kind of look further out and understand how people are going to transact in the future. Thank you both, both so much. One thing that you touched on was also the bear market, which is when Europe um, launched essentially, but it just goes to show that this, this idea of, of a money API is separate from the bear market, which is what we've always seen where in the bear market we build um, that whole idea. It's certainly true. I mean, even if uh, now you, you have Converge um, coming up later this year, um, it's kind of unbothered from that entire fact that I find very, very interesting as a development and to, to observe here. So let's move on to the next question, which is um, relating to how does Europe fit into the landscape of existing Euro-denominated stablecoins? Do you see the strong points, especially with the transparency, um, with it being backed one-to-one? Uh, -one? Well, one of the things I mentioned earlier was um, that uh, Eurocoin is backed one-to-one -one with Euros, um, not with dollars. Um, so there isn't, you know, that, that FX uh, exposure potentially. Um, so I think that's a key differentiator. And I think the, the other primary key differentiator for Eurocoin is that it is, you know, the second in a product suite of digital currencies um, that are offered by a company that has established, um, you know, 
a, a relationship of trust and transparency and accountability um, from a company that is, you know, pro-regulation in our approach. And all of those things have contributed to USDC becoming the world's, you know, fourth largest digital asset in circulation today um, and have helped to secure kind of the, the dollar's um, place as the currency of the internet. Now, you know, do we think that the dollar should be the only cur- currency of the internet? Um, you know, no, I don't, I don't think that's true. And so as we look to um, the fact that most stable coins have been pegged against the dollar, that they're by default, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, as, as Jean meant, you know, alluded to earlier, that they're in essence making the dollar the currency of the internet, right? Um, and this actually kind of serves to protect and preserve the two-tier banking system as opposed to competing with it, right? And providing an alternative. So, you know, offering a well-regulated Euro-backed digital currency like Eurocoin um, for us seems like a key pillar for responsible financial services innovation that, you know, becomes that that infrastructure that you can build on. Um, And as John mentioned earlier, I, I also don't, see, you know, the two currencies in competition necessarily. Um, They're serving different markets and the global movement of money. Um, Different markets use, would prefer to use their local currency um, as opposed to being, you know, exposed to those FX conditions. Um, And really just as the dollar props up trillions of dollars of other economic activity, uh, a stable coin that, you know, has that trust and accountability um, and, you know, it, it sits within a regulatory perimeter can, ass- uh, can really kind of provide that same function that, you know, the dollar does today um, within the, the digital asset world. And so, you know, where you have responsible stable coins, you can then support a whole host of other economic activities on top of that. What I, what I would add to what Tina said is that also I think uh, something that I touched on on, on the keynote, the uh, the infrastructure that Circle has built for USC is really unparalleled um, in terms of the automation and and the liquidity provided by by issuance and redemption services. Uh, it is unbounded, you know, to the extent that customers send us via currency, they will receive the the comparable amount of of digital currency. And as I said, with you know fully automated systems. Uh, Eurocoin has inherited all of that infrastructure, and it's also therefore unparalleled. There's no, there's no other currency that uh, that can be issued at that scale. Right. So there's not really another issue out there that has built the same track record over um, the past years as as USDC and, and Circle has in those terms. So could you shed a bit more light on this? And you've already touched on this partially. Um, on the future of Europe envisioned within the Eurozone and then outside of the Eurozone, because there's this whole notion of the borderlessness of, of, of money and um, digital payments. But of course, we, we are going to have to look at regulation here. And this is, of course, also circling back to Mika and uh, every other type of, of regulatory framework that will come up in the future. Yeah, yeah sure. I, oh, go no, ahead. No, go on, go on. I, I can follow. Okay. Um, so I think when we look at, you know, why uh, Eurocene and, and what is it going to uh, provide? Um, 
I think one of the the key things for me, we talked about, you know, the, this period of tumultuousness that we've experienced in uh, the digital asset markets lately have kind of served to provide a, you know, ad hoc stress test, if you will. And so one of the outcomes of that is that there is proof um, how sound business models and, you know, a regulated approach can can prevail. Um, and for me, this correction period and the acknowledgement that stable coins are, in fact, not all created equally, opens the door for other use cases to expand um, now that we kind of understand what a fully reserved, um, fully transparent backed uh, stable coin can offer in light of the alternatives. Um, so one one stat I found really interesting uh, that came out of Gartner research last year, December, January, um, was that they predict that by 2024, 20% of all businesses will use digital currencies for payments. Um, and I thought that was astounding, right? Um, so when I look at how digital currencies are rapidly evolving um, across global payments and remittances, um, I, you know, can give you a, a practical example today. Um, and one of those is MoneyGram. So uh, earlier, Joao mentioned uh, the partnership between MoneyGram and the Stellar Foundation. Um, and I think this is a great example of how internet-ready money is, is really kind of changing global remittances. So this is applicable in the Eurozone and outside of the Eurozone. Um, given that the partnership enables digital wallets that are connected to the Stellar network to access MoneyGram's global retail platform. And so it, in essence, is providing a bridge for consumers between digital assets and local currencies. And it's revolutionizing those settlement flows by providing this near instant settlement in USDC. And, you know, in the future, there's no reason that could not include EuroC as well. So for a consumer, to be able to seamlessly convert USDC to cash or cash to USDC is is pretty uh, you know life changing, um, given you know the utility and and the the liquidity of being able to use their digital wallets, um, and it also for MoneyGram kind of revolutionizes the settlement process. So for the first time, settlement can occur in basically near real time, and that's that's a major game changer, um, and this will rapidly accelerate the collection of funds. Um, and, and improves efficiencies. So that, that is a use case that is in practice today um, that is now allowing people to kind of, you know, transact in and out of currencies and digital assets all around the world. Yeah, I, I would love to pepper what Tina said, which is spot on with a couple of other examples that have crossed my my virtual desk these days, uh, you know, in the last number of weeks as we have launched Eurocoin and, and have engaged with the ecosystem to, to, uh, to you know, supply for, for, for the interest, for the adoption that, that we see uh, demanded. Um, a, a couple of examples, both within the Eurozone and outside of the Eurozone, as, as you said. Um, so within the Eurozone, we have seen two things already happening, which, which mimic use cases that we have seen that I think are, are super interesting for USCC that, that make a lot of sense, as, as Tina said, when, when you have the local currency available, people tend to immediately consider that as the, as the best option. One, one of them has to do with capital formation. So there is now there is now a tremendous tremendous amount of, of startups and, and businesses being built, uh, you know, around this this sort of technology, innovation, blockchain, and crypto assets. Uh, so they are 
not only digital digitally native but you know from a money point of view they have a bias towards this format of money as well and and in the venture capital industry and you know angel investment there is there is a lot of utilization of stable coins as as a, as a vehicle for capital formation so if you are a startup if you have a team of three people and you're starting up and you're collecting maybe some um, some angel investment there's a high chance that you're going to get paid that investment paid onto a digital wallet in the form of USCC. Uh, the, the 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 scale of that is I think it's it's uh it's quite impressive uh and 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 I think it hasn't have and then have uh coverage from the media uh in the way that it deserves perhaps obviously when we launched your coin immediately we have been approached by a number of uh venture capital and funds and and even startups saying oh I, I am based out of Europe so now that we have something like Eurocoin it makes sense for us to follow the same path but obviously I would prefer to hold my capital in the form of euros because this is the region that I'm in uh, similarly then for payroll so we see a lot of these digital native companies companies that are building these uh, crypto capital markets venues that run fully on chain again these companies are very biased but biased in the positive uh, sense of the term to to this kind of um, uh, form factor of money, right? So they tend to pay their their employees traditionally in the form of USCC. But we know a lot of these teams that are again 100% based in Europe, um, and uh, and you know immediately once we we launched Eurocoin, they said, oh, we would like to convert now, paying our employees into euros uh, because typically what they do is they receive uh, USCC. And they try to auto convert into into euros because that's how they pay their expenses, right? This is a form for them not to have to auto convert and 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 not have exposure to FX. Uh, so that that's a few things that are you know small in scale, but I think over time they they become very relevant that we see within eurozone. And the other example that I would throw that then gets you know uh, talks about the importance of of having this sort of asset outside of the eurozone is that we have been approached by a couple of venues. Um, in Turkey, uh, as soon as we launched Eurocoin, uh, because of the interest that uh, both retail but also institutions over there have in holding and having Euro exposure, right? As as you guys know, uh, that that corridor, Turkey, Germany in particular, is very very relevant for for remittances and for for flows in general. Um, and we see demand from from Turkey Turkish based uh, businesses to also hold Eurocoin on behalf of their customers, whether they are retail or businesses. I think that was a very comprehensive overview. Um, I especially like that you actually used concrete examples here, which is also, so you mentioned money, MoneyGram, then angel investors, um, VCs, remittance payments that are, you know, more favorable if they are actually Euro denominated. Um, so a lot of these are carryovers from what you've seen with the USDC. Is there anything that you would say is particular to Europe that you've seen thus far in terms of um, adoption or is it more or less the same um, as for the USDC, just euro denominated. I think I think it's more it's more of the same. Just just now with the ability to be uh, localized and and you know having that additional friction of a foreign currency removed. The one thing I would mention, and it's not specific about Europe, but I think it's specific about the fact that now you have at least two of these currencies. It is everything that touches the the conversion between those right so um i i am a, i am a i'm very very interested in how this kind of infrastructure now over time will will disrupt the way that foreign exchange has been traditionally dealt with uh, you know there are very few companies that that hold uh control over you know broad and, and scale um exchange of, of foreign currencies 
Uh, and again, thinking about this as a platform, if you if I am an application developer, if I am a business to gain access to foreign exchange is actually very hard. Uh, you know, if I want to do that at, at reasonable cost and, and scale. Um, what we have seen that again, almost the second, even prior to launching Eurocoin, was a lot of interest in in uh, developers and innovators who are trying to build FX uh, as an on-chain capability, right? Again, as pure software that runs on-chain on a 24 by 7 basis, and it's only limited by the working capital that liquidity providers are willing to, to allocate to those markets. Uh, we see tremendous amount of interest, you know, from liquidity providers to allocate capital and, and create a new source of revenue for, for them by, by providing liquidity into these protocols. And I think this idea of having FX uh, become almost like a data exchange format that that now uh, that now runs on chain uh, in the form of unstoppable protocols. I think I think it's really really interesting. And then the application of that for commerce use cases for uh, for remittances and everything that uh, that requires effects is is a huge promise that we're seeing ahead of us. All right. If there's nothing to add from your side, Tina, I think we can get started with the audience questions, which there is quite a couple of, and um, some of them are going into the same direction. So I'll start with the ones touching on the topic of um, GDPR um, compliance and security from a consumer standpoint. Um, one question is whether York will send data under the standard contract clauses to the US or if you um, see any GDPR problem um, related to this coming up? Um, well, the, the way that customers are onboarded, um, they, they go through the same circle account process. So our European-based customers go through the, the, the same onboarding process um, that all of our global customers go through. Um, and within those terms and conditions, um, there are the necessary, you know, triggers to, to be able to, you know, share um, your information cross border. So I don't, I don't think there's really any major change um, between the way that uh, Eurocoin customers are onboarded versus uh, a USDC customer um, that is outside the US is onboarded. It's the same. Right. I think that answered the question very well. Now, um, the next one is related to something that you um refer to. So you pointed out that um, a use case for Europe is to accept payment from uh, European commerce and companies. Um, however, you're based in the UK currently. Um, is there some type of handicap that can come up here with all that going back and forth and switching between currencies? Sorry, we're not based. I mean, we, we do have people in the UK. We do have you know, lines of business in the UK, but I, I think I can you maybe ask the question again? I'm not sure I understand. I think what the person means is um, that one of the use cases of Europe is to accept payments from uh, European commerce. And now with the UK leaving the Eurozone, uh, whether this this means it's some type of handicap because it's, it's not within the European um, payment uh, unit anymore. In that sense, or well, it, it never was, right? But now we even have the burden of um, more regulation coming up. Um. Yeah, so you know, I think that those those uh, cross border challenges that exist with you know TradFi um, are the same at the moment with with digital currency. So at the moment, you've got um, you know an FX between 
a, a Euro denominated transaction and a sterling denominated transaction or a US denominated transaction, right? Um, and so, you know, do we potentially see a world where um, we expand into other um, currencies uh, for, you know, a, other digital currencies with other denominated assets? Potentially. Um, and so then, you know, that kind of doesn't remove, but, you know, remove or doesn't erase, but does remove some of the friction that you would have between transacting from uh, the UK to Europe. Um, but again, I don't, I don't see um, this being kind of, you know, a, a material issue related specifically to digital assets today. I think it falls into that same bucket that Joao was talking about, about, you know, the existing challenges in FX. Joao, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Yeah, that, that's, that's what I, what I was thinking as well. Also, also, I think, I think the way to think about this is that uh, what's, what Circle does, if a business or a developer is interested in, right, because they can also get access to this kind of capability, as I said, mostly in a permissionless way, you know, perhaps via other venues and perhaps even via via on-chain venues. So now, now USCC and Eurocoin exist as an asset in a programmable way on, on chain. Um, so, you know, the conversion between the two, the acceptance of payments from one party to another party, perhaps a merchant, you know, this can be built without Circle being involved at all. So none of, none of those potential limitations uh, are actually, you know, concrete limitations uh, at all the, the 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 other way that businesses and developers can can run uh you know or or implement these kinds of services i think we're talking about primarily commerce use cases they, the circle has products and services in the form of uh you know merchant services and apis that can be offered to businesses attempting to do that uh circle offers those services you know mostly out of our us based entities uh, you know, and these are all digital assets, uh, you know, we support USCC and Eurocoin in the same way that we actually support <clears throat> acceptance of Bitcoin or Ethereum based payments uh, with settlement in, in, into typically something like USCC. Um, so this this doesn't actually have limitations in the way that I think has been has been asked. I think that was very important for you guys to comment on because we actually got quite a couple of questions that are referring to the conversion from Europe to local currency. So that didn't seem to be too clear to people that um, this is not necessarily something that Circle or Europe um, from your side that you're involved with necessarily, but rather something on the side of the merchant um, that then has to convert that, uh, that currency. Now, Another question is relating to um, yield programs and Europe. Will you, or are you planning on on having any Europe yield programs? Yes, we have. We have the intention to expand the the yield products that we have created for uh, for businesses uh, in in the form of of USCC, uh, expanding that to to Eurocoin over time as well. That will likely take uh, take time because uh, for for people to understand, uh, and I think this has been a, a particularly hot topic in the in the first two quarters of this year in the, in the digital uh, assets markets. Um, the the yield comes from uh, you know uh, aggregating the deposits from businesses who are interested in accruing yield on their on their balances, right? 
and uh, and lending that out to uh, to lenders who then supply for for the borrowing demand on the other side. So it's essentially a a marketplace style of in- infrastructure, right? So essentially, for you to be able to develop products that uh, can generate yield uh, based on Eurocoin balances. There needs to be a demand for Eurocoin borrowing um, uh, first, and uh, and quite frankly, right now the you know the the demand for that is is too small to to warrant uh, the build out of a, of a yield generating product. Uh, we hope that that changes over time. We hope that you know Eurocoin becomes, as I said, just as liquid an asset uh, as USCC, and there will be interest uh, potentially within the European region uh, for businesses and individuals to to borrow Eurocoin. Uh, for various types of activities, and once once that uh, once that demand cr- gets created, uh, it creates a market for for yield naturally on the back of that. All right, got it. Now the next question I think is from either a um, crypto proponent or um, somebody that likes to ask a couple of, of critical questions. Rather, let me give you a bit of background on this. So, um, assuming that the European Central Bank, because they have asserted opinions, or um, they they have commented on the future of stable coins, and they are more critical, let's say, when it comes to their position, um, in terms of that they actually want to have stable coins and e-money tokens on their watch and under their regulation specifically. So how does Circle see this issue of stable coins like the Euro then being um, issued by a private entity and then depending on how the central bank might react to stable coins by a private entity company? Yeah, sure. So um, I think we have a, a pretty clear understanding around um, Europe's position on stable coins now that um, Mika has been uh, adopted, and we are are still waiting to see what you know the the final um, law looks like after the technical trilogues that are being undertaken um, this month. But in essence, we do have um, a pretty clear distinction between e-money and asset referenced tokens, right? And so um, USDC or Eurocoin would fit into that e-money category. And um, some of the responses or some of the concerns um, that were originally raised that, you know, have um, now resulted in transaction caps, for example, those are applied to the asset referenced tokens, but they're not applied to e-money. Now, um, I think over time, there could be, uh, you know, the potential for maybe more strict um, oversight if those stablecoin payment systems um, were, you know, seen to become systemic, for example. Um, but today, that that is what we're expecting Mika to, to say. Now, um, the regulator of, of choice being, you know, the EBA within the, the Mika um, uh, articles, essentially for us, fits very neatly within the way that we think that a fully reserved uh, a digital currency sh- should be regulated. So that prudential regulation um, that provides things like, for example, there are um, discussions in the U.S. around different legislative bills 
that give the provision to a uh, fully reserved stablecoin like USDC, potential access to uh, the Fed and and the Fed window, um, and then you're able to hold your reserves with the central bank. Um, and so for us, that would be a very attractive option. Um, there's discussion in the UK under the Financial Services Markets Act that's currently within Parliament um, to bring stable coins within to the perimeter of the Bank of England. Um, so I think what we're starting to see is, um, again, harmonization globally around the potential importance um, that stablecoins provide, the potential for them to become systemic, which means you know that they they are even more important than or they expect to become even more important, and then therefore should be potentially regulated, um, and and Circle uh, agrees. So um, all all roads align um, when it comes to uh, potentially EuroC being regulated by the the uh, EBA. All right. Anything to add, Joel? Nope. I don't think so. Tina is the expert. <laughs> okay. Very well. So um, I guess there's also not a lot of fear coming from a um, digital euro as a CBDC when it comes to becoming a money API. If we look at the plans of implementing blockchain technology or DLT of some type or rather uh, the lack thereof, right? So there's no real overlap or is there any consideration that goes into the landscape of, of digital money um, when it comes to CBDCs and stable coins? Is that something that you guys look at? Yeah, we look at that all the time and I'm sure Joao also has um, some important views on this. I think from, from my personal perspective, um, we today have private and public money, and they are both used. Um, and so when you kind of consider the context context of a, a retail-based uh, central bank digital currency, that, that's kind of not how central bank money works today. Um, but there there is um, use cases and interoperability between public and private money. Um, so I don't see why that would change in the future. I think a central bank digital currency um, will potentially serve purposes um, that are, you know, designed to 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 work well with that that type of asset. And stablecoins will continue to provide um, the same type of services that that you know private money provides today. So I don't necessarily see them in competition. Um, and I also believe that. There is um, a number of design questions that are still being contemplated around how CBDCs, you know, might actually, you know, be technically designed. Um, and some of those explore options which aren't based on blockchain technology. And for me, I think if we're moving toward this kind of device on, you know, payment on always uh, and digitally native transacting environment, to, to bring a digital asset online that can't be interoperable or, or would provide a lot of friction um, with interoperability, I think would propose uh, you know, some significant challenges um, and might lead to some lag in adoption. So ultimately for me, I don't think it's an either or. I think um, stablecoins today provide optionality and I think they will continue to. Yeah, if I can add a little bit to that, as Tina said, we. 
I think I think sometimes it's easy for for uh, large audiences to to not appreciate how the scale that that we utilize to which we utilize private money today, right? Uh, th there's a reason why there are you know tremendously robust and and established uh, e-money constructs around the world, right? Uh, that's that's exactly because the proliferation of all these. <clears throat> different form factors for money, you know, driven by private um, uh, enterprises, you know, just just tend to be better for consumers, right? So it's great that we all, not we all, there's still a lot of uh, a lot of people in the world that don't benefit from it. But at least for us, for us in the West, mostly, it, it's great for us to be able to benefit from PayPal and Revolut and gift cards and Visa and MasterCard, right? And those are all private forms of money. I mean, they are representations, electronic representations of money. Um, you know, there's cash and there's other forms of money. Uh, but but I think that the, the vastly most utilized from a, from a consumer point of view are actually private. Uh, so th there's no reason to think that all of a sudden now for blockchain, this is not going to be the case. And when CBDCs, uh, if they ever come to fruition, you know, they are going to, to dominate. Uh, I, I don't think that's the case at all. I would like to think that this is going to be, again, a lot more of a collaborative and cooperative uh, kind of uh, kind of landscape. Uh, you know, perhaps it is the case that that CBDCs are going to have a particular um, a particular uh, traction and uh, and suitability for use cases that are actually not retail, right? So, for example, uh, maybe when, when somebody is building uh, a euro-based uh, stablecoin, they can contemplate uh, that the reserves can now be euro CBDC, uh, right? Uh, and so, I think that relationship is is much more likely to me. Than, than this sort of uh, competition at the retail level. Honestly, I think it's tremendously hard for for a government to uh, to uh, roll out uh, you know a product like digital cash and and really attempt to to own all venues of that. And I, I also think it's not good for consumers, right? Because um, an asset like USCC and and any form of digital asset these days in the in the way that it is programmable and and mostly permissionless, and uh, you know there are several other synthetic forms of USCC that have been created by developers around the world just by copying what we have done or, or wrapping or extending what we have done. I question whether, you know, uh, a central bank would be comfortable with developers uh, fiddling with uh, with the CBDC and expanding it. So uh, so they, they, they just they just fit like different use cases in my mind. And absolutely, this is also our stance at the Digital Euro Association on kind of how these two interrelate or will uh, kind of shape the future together. I think that was very, very interesting. I certainly learned a lot from, from both of you here. How can people reach out if they're interested in signing up for Converge, for example, learn more about Euroc, learn more about the um, development opportunities? You've said already that, that um, we can find these information on the website, but then um, do you guys prefer LinkedIn, for example? Are you also on Twitter? Feel free to tell our audience they're probably going to want to reach out to you. Have a couple of more questions. Well, Converge, um, I'm sure you can get to it via the circle.com website, but uh, there is a specific website for Converge, which is converge.circle.com. Um, and you can get all of the information on uh, speakers and the program, uh, tickets, etc. Um, it's going to be absolutely fantastic. And we would love to see everyone there. Um, I can be found on LinkedIn um, and I'm always happy to take questions. I'm also on Twitter um, at, at Tina Taylor. 
Um, so my DMs are open and uh, happy to, to chat with any of your members if they have further questions. Joao? Yes, absolutely. Double down on that invitation for for uh, this. This will be converge will be a, a super relevant industry conference. Uh, you know, we as you can as you can see, if you go to converge.circle.com, the the roaster of speakers that that we are proposing. You know, Vitalik uh, from the Ethereum ecosystem, uh, Danelle from the Stellar ecosystem. You know, and and this is just the beginning. There's there's a tremendous amount of super interesting speakers over there from the. From the 27th of September again in San Francisco, I will be there. I think Tina will be there, so we will be happy to talk live to to a lot of the folks here. And uh, I, I tend on in terms of channels to reach out to me. I tend to be a Twitter uh, boy, uh, so you can reach me on on at uh, Reginato R E G I N A T T O. My my last name. I I am pretty responsive on Twitter if anyone wants to reach out. Great. Thank you guys also for sharing um, all this information with us on, on Euroc and then uh, money APIs in general. The audience was very, very responsive. I can tell you that, which is a very, very good sign. People really um, engaged here, um, asked a lot of questions. So thank you very much for joining today's event. Also on behalf of the Digital Euro Association, um, should you want to become a fellow or an expert with the DL, of course, also head to our website um, to stay up to date with um, industry news, the launch of the newest uh, Circle stablecoin. Uh, let's see what we'll see in the future as well. And with that being said, thank you so much. I hope you have a great rest of the day. And I hope to invite you guys um, back very soon for possibly the next stablecoin or um, industry developments at Circle and otherwise. Thanks, Sarah. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me.